There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Happy Monday. What is up, podcast fam? It is Monday morning. I hope you had an amazing weekend. I am so excited to drop this episode today with my friend Wesley Grant. I met Wes several years ago in the gym. He was one of my first trainers who actually focused on helping me build muscle the right way. I've been working with Wes while in quarantine, and I've seen some serious gains. Put on four pounds of muscle. Like I tell Wes, I'll tell you, I'm jacked, baby. Woo! Let's see. On this episode, we dive into so much. We dive into Wes's story and how he first pursued his financial dreams, his financial desires, and creating financial wealth. Nothing wrong with that by any means. He went down the path of pursuing a life on Wall Street professionally and realized that's not for him. He chose to go a different direction and pursue what makes him come alive, to pursue his passions in fitness and in other areas. In this episode, we dive into that transition, what that was like for him, why he feels it was well worth it. We dive into staying fit, staying healthy, how to put on muscle while in quarantine with limited gym equipment, and his real passion, bowling. At the end, I brought up bowling. I know Wes loves to bowl, and he's also a very good bowler. Recently bowled in a semi-professional competition, or maybe professional, and he won the entire thing. Incredible. I don't know anyone who's done that. When I brought up bowling in this episode, his entire face lit up. It made my day. With that, tune in. Enjoy this episode. Wes, thank you so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast. I'm pumped to have you on. It's my pleasure, man. It's actually an honor to actually be on this podcast today. I'm looking forward to talking about various topics with you in this episode. For those who are listening, Wes is my trainer, and he's been getting me. He's been getting me strong. I I think a little thick, but super strong, super strong. <laughs> it's, it's always a plus when you can build muscle, man. It's actually a challenge for many to actually put muscle on. It is a challenge, so be happy you're, you're on the plus side of that right now. Yeah, I I have a lot of friends growing up who they have the completely different style body type where. It's very hard for me to lose weight, but it's so easy for me to put on weight. I guess equal to that, also put on muscle. But for some of my friends, it's so hard for them. Like they're so little and skinny and they can they can eat all day long and they don't put on any weight. We're always trying to go back and forth. Like I'm trying to go down, they're trying to go up. It's amazing because in the industry itself, I think I want to, I want to say 80, 90% of individuals want to drop weight. They, they want to see all the aesthetics, you know, the abs and, and this is why you have so much marketing geared towards the lean bodies and so forth. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, your body type is your body type and 
your genetics is your genetics. You know, it's like it's harder for an individual to put on muscle than it is for individuals to drop fat. Mm. Most individuals can only because you got to think the individual that's that of a, I want to go into body types, but individual that's more of an ectomorph, mesomorph, they, um, it's going to be a lot easier for an individual like yourself to, again, drop fat, hold muscle. And someone that, let's just say, is, like you said, we'll use the terms that you said, skinnier than you or smaller than you, it's harder for an individual who is like that to put on size because their body, it's like they just have this high, high burning system, a machine. So their, const, their machine is constantly just burning calories at a higher rate. And because they're constantly burning calories at a higher rate, their body is naturally, like whether they put fuel in or not, their body's burning. So that's why it's harder for someone who's again smaller frame trying to build muscle. They have to eat a lot more and they have to consistently eat. Whereas in comparison to you, whereas your body will naturally store a little bit more fat and be able to hold muscle, their body cannot do that. Mm, yeah, it's so easy. I mean, it's funny. If I want to put on weight, not muscle, just weight, it's so easy for me to do that. That's just that's... like eat some pizza, eat some sandwiches. I'll put on weight. Yeah. So I wanted to do this episode a little bit different. Before we dive into your journey, your story, just because we're still in quarantine, especially here in New York, a lot of people I think elsewhere in the world are starting to like go back to their regular life. But given you know you are a professional trainer, what can people in quarantine be doing right now to be staying fit? The number one thing, and, and this is definitely going to apply to your quarantine lifestyle or post-quarantine lifestyle. Number one thing is just to watch what you're eating and get physically active. I remember in the, in the middle of the quarantine, they said, you know, beware of the COVID-15. And the COVID-15 <laughs> was pretty much the pounds that individuals were going to get because you're sitting around all day. You're not as active. And again, it's, whether you're in the gym or not, whether that was part of your lifestyle before the quarantine or not, your activity was still different. You know, whether you go to work, whether you're walking to the train station, whether you're walking in and out of your car, whatever your daily activity was, we've slowed down so much because we're constantly now in the house and we're finding things to do or we're not finding this door, we're catching up on how much binge watching of TV we can do. And the best advice I would say, is just watch what you're eating and find a way to get active. Because most individuals, you don't need to be in the gym, but you need to find a way to be active in your home, you know, and whether it's going out for a walk when you can, if you do have weights, if you have bands, if you have anything you can do, an exercise regimen, YouTube, a trainer, you have to find a way to stay active. And that will give you at least 20 to 30% of I would say your movement or, or, or your activity will help you sustain a healthier fitness life. And then the 70 to 80% is going to be goes right back into your eating. It, you know, and again, whether you're in quarantine or not, that, that's the one factor that plays a bigger role in how much of a healthier lifestyle we live. Because we can be, perfect example, you could be apartment sanitation. We know that that is a tough job in the sense of you're hopping off a truck. If you're working the trucks, you're throwing, you know, different kind of weights all your whole shift, right? But if if your eating habits are not where they should be, that's 70 to 80% of your results or or how your body actually reacts is going to be from your fuel. I try and encourage whether it's clients or just friends because that's been the biggest question everyone's asked. Like, what do I do right now while I'm in quarantine? I'm like, listen, focus on your eating habits. Like, take advantage of the fact that we're in a position where we can't go anywhere because that's one thing that everyone's always said prior to this is I don't have time. So many of my clients, hey, do a food log. I don't have time. I don't have time at work, at the kids. I'm like, right now, you have the time to revamp 
all of your eating habits and really see what your weaknesses and what your strengths. Mm. I think you always have the time. It's just if you actually want to commit the time. Oh, so big, man. We don't get it. We want the results, but we, you know, this day and age, everybody wants that instant success. You want to hit the lotto and be a successful millionaire. You want the instant body because you diet in, in four weeks. Do you consider that your commitment? But the truth of the matter is, man, if we ever took a step back and look at how long we've been investing into our bodies, how many years we've been investing the wrong things into our bodies, I think we would we would take the the, the foot off the pedal a little bit and, and really, <laughs> you know, give give ourselves some chance for our bodies to catch up, man. Like like you said, commitment. I think that's the hardest part for most individuals to really see results is they think that a short term commitment is what you're going to get, but this whole time you've been doing a long term investment. So you know you can't just flip it all of a sudden and say. Uh, on my body to give me the best results because I've been committed for the quarantine, you know? Mm. Is the lack of commitment, you think, the reason why most people fail in, in hitting their fitness goals? Absolutely. Let's take for a prime example, New Year's resolutioners. That's a prime example. Everyone, everyone is committed to the same lifestyle all year long. And this is how it works. January 1st comes around. Everybody wants a new gym membership. The new, whatever the trend is, whether it's paleo, keto, Whatever that trend is as far as to drop fat loss or everyone goes weight loss, but everyone really is try- should be trying to drop fat or build muscle or, you know, put them both, to- both perspectives together. But the truth of the matter is January to, let's say, February, March, everyone is geared in on trying to get the best results or trying to get rid of the holiday eating. Then they drop off <laughs> because they, they couldn't stay committed. Right? I'm just laughing. Sorry, I'm just laughing because in New York, at least, it gets it's so cold then. That my mentality is just like, this is hibernation season. And you're not the only one, man. You're not the only one. It's funny you say that because most individuals don't want to come out during that cold, right? So yeah. you, but you do have the dedicated that, that they get fire underneath them because it's New Year. And I, and yeah, I, yeah, I start yeah, shredding this, right? And then they drop off. They disappear. Then you have those who who storm back. You have another uh, another big storm of, of individual that, that come into the gym around April saying, listen, I want to be ready for the summer. Okay? summer, wedding, vacation. That's where you have a big flux of individuals that say, I want to get back to dedication. And even those that, that get there probably have a longer list of individuals that stick around for that. But even that's not enough time. You know, it really comes to being committed all year round. And, and the bottom line is if you can commit to a lifestyle, not a season, you know, because I think most individuals love the seasons. They love the New Year's resolution. They love the, I want to get in here for pre-summer body ready Mm. the truth is if you create a lifestyle it's easier to maintain that than it is trying to do the the new trend diet or the the i'm gonna do intermittent fasting for the next several days and i'm gonna drop all this weight and then i'm gonna put it all back because i'm gonna go party as hard as i can for three (laughs) months you know it's like we we do more damage to our bodies because we don't know what commitment and consistency is you know which one i like the wedding diet i think that's (sighs) always the funniest one because I've heard stories more from like my sisters, my fiance, Emily, of people of like their friends, peers, et cetera, who like go so hardcore in restrictive eating and like very excessive on the fitness side. But then it's like once the wedding is over, that's not sustainable by any means. Let me tell you, man, they're letting loose on the honeymoon. Okay. And that is the truth. The, the truth is that it's the go hard prior to, and it's the cut back and it's the sacrifice of what they're going to eat. And and now they they carbs and they don't drink. And the thing is, once you reintroduce those things right back into your body after you've taken that break away from it, your body holds on to more of it. So this is where promoting a better lifestyle in regards to health and wellness is 
is what you should be trying to focus. Most individuals should focus on that. You know, how can I create a lifestyle that I can be committed to? And if you do that, then you can see your results last a lot longer. You can see a, a definitely a healthier lifestyle that you can maintain and remain committed to. Because that's, again, like you brought in the beginning, commitment is hard. So I've, I love working out. I'd say definitely working out with, with a trainer or a coach has always helped me maximize hitting goals or just achieving greater results. I think almost with, with anything, whether it be fitness, business, anything, a hobby, if you're getting a coach, you're, you're going to have greater levels of success. But there's a lot of trends out there as it relates to working out. I've been doing fitness-related workouts since I'm 11, and I've seen a lot of things come, a lot of things go, especially living in Manhattan. You see so many of these gyms, and I think in somewhat of a unique situation now that I'm home, we're working out again together. And I see like instantly within like two weeks, I'm starting to see muscle build much faster than everything else that I've been doing, whether that be a boxing class or any of these hit classes in the city. So I'm curious, like if you could just talk a little bit about your style of workout. And I guess, you know, at least in my own experience, and now we're a little bit more restrictive with the equipment, but every time I've worked out with you, it's like the, the building of muscle happens 10 times faster. And then whenever I'm back in the city and I'm doing all these classes and staying in, in shape, at least I'm sort of just like maintaining. Yeah, I think I mentioned that to you before, but it's like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not building muscle. I'm just sort of like maintaining where I'm at. Okay. Well, you, you actually, uh, we've had this combo before. And this conversation always goes back to the science. You know, I, my brother and I, my brother's trainer as well. I know we've mentioned that before. And we make sure that our program design is based on, again, we're coming from the backgrounds of NASM, ISSA. We've been in the industry over 20 years now. So we've been able to, I don't I want to say do anything other than put together a program design that you are focused on building muscle, but it's, it's also integrated with, again, stamina as well. And the program design is just really focused on strength building at the same time with challenging your heart rate and the overall goal is to make sure that you are, again, in your routine, build a muscle. Now, we've several individuals like to do classes and, you know, you have all kinds of research that you can do prior to doing whatever you're doing, whether it's the training you're working with or whether the class that you're attending, you should have an understanding of what you're actually paying for or what you're attending because that's what it boils down to. The program design that's, that's geared towards you, again, is to build muscle and we're also trying to, at the same time, build muscle and proper nutrition is going to get you to drop fat and and lean out. But the problem that most, the problem that I think most face is that they do not have an understanding of what they're doing. That's the honest truth. They did a study. They said that 85% of gym members have no idea what they're doing when they walk into a gym. (laughs) That's a big number. Yeah. You know, so, and 85%, not to say they don't know how to use equipment or anything, but they just don't know what they're doing to get results. And the bottom line is a program design is geared towards you. Before before we started, you know, it's the first thing I asked you is like, what are you looking to do? What's your goal? And by knowing what your goal is and knowing what you're doing, I'm going to be that Google Maps that helps you get to your destination by designing a routine that's tailor-made just for you. And, you know, the same routine that you're doing, I'm not going to take my 80-year-old client and say, I'm going to put them through that same routine because even if you both said that you had the same destination, your same goal, they could not perform that same routine with the same output that you do, mm. you understand? So the bottom line is you have to have a goal and know what that goal is first and be able to get to that goal. You have to exactly know where you're going. Unfortunately, for a lot, of, like you said, hit classes and any kind of class, spin class, hit class, boxing, those classes, as much as they're fun and they're great and, they, you know, again, you do what you love and if it's conditioning, 
if it's looking for to be, you know, have better skills on, on, on hitting the mids or the bag, anything from spinning, we have a lot of individuals who love to do any kind of spin class. Boring. <laughs> exactly. But the, the funny thing is that, you know, if this is what you love to do, it's just that I'm not going to go do a spin class and think that I'm going to come out the class ripped and, and being bigger in muscle because it's not going to happen. Yeah. You're still going to sweat. You're going to get a good workout. And that's the bottom line. And I think that's the misconception I think a lot of individuals have. You know, it's like whether it's sweat. Oh, I, I, I did a lot of sweat today. Spin is torture to me. The, when you when you yeah. clip in and your feet are tra- trapped to the bike, <laughs> I feel like it's the it's the equivalent of being handcuffed to something. And like I'm just like, wow, this hour is gonna go by so slowly. Dude, I, I get it. Listen, I, I've tried I've tried a lot of classes, man. I definitely had fun in some. I've tried spin classes. It's just not for me. And I feel like that's how it is. Like certain individuals, they can they'll be committed to a spin class five to six days a week without even thinking about it. Whereas me. Like yourself, I, I want to touch weights. I want to touch a bag. I, I want to. I want a variety, but I want to know that when with that variety, that I'm constantly again building muscle, building the integrity of the muscle, whether it's a smaller muscle, superficial or intrinsic. I want to make sure that I'm constantly. I like to be that of a superhero. I want to know that I'm stronger, I'm faster each day, and at the same time, I'm mobile. I, you know, mm. I don't. I don't want to be in a position where you know. I invest because this is still an investment, right? We're, we're still investing into our bodies. And each year we're getting older. But the, I like to look at fitness as the fountain of youth. I feel that when I look at individuals who have been investing into their health and wealth, you can tell the difference between those who are investing into, I'm sorry to say this, I mean, not a knock, but those who are investing into the bars and, you know, things that tear down our bodies, you can definitely see the difference, you know, in individuals who, Spend time making sure that they're getting the right foods in, make sure that they're getting the rest, making sure they're getting the workouts on a weekly basis. They live a healthier life. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. I mean, you want to have fun, but you, again, you want to have balance, right? You want to have a yeah. healthy lifestyle, man. Absolutely. So let's take it back. Now we'll go backwards now that we uh, we cleared the air and gave everyone who's listening some tips for how to get strong and how to stay fit during quarantine. How did you find fitness? Let's take it back to like the beginning, wherever that beginning. starts for you. All right, so let's take it back. Give a little history. So always, always uh, been an athlete and, you know, from, from young, started out in, um, I want to say elementary, you had soccer, soccer, basketball, football, track, pretty much did a, a lot of, a lot of activities, sport activities, always, was always involved with sports. And then post school, always had a gym membership, but it's funny, I, I didn't really go right into uh, fitness. I kept fitness as a part of my lifestyle, but I actually went straight to Wall Street. I was in Wall Street for about 10 years and it was actually it wasn't until I I took a, a a package actually my Wall Street actually was was transforming. You had a, a time where computers came in and and pretty much wiped off like at least three thousand jobs off of the New York Stock Exchange floor. And from that, it gave me some time to really try and find where I wanted to be. I, I had an opportunity to go work on the on the trading desk for my company, but um for the company, and and I chose not to. I chose to take a package and really just you know get to get to find myself because I felt like you know as much as Working on the floor was fun and where I wanted to be, I felt like um, it was more of a job. Okay. Well, you know, I definitely could say that. I felt like I was becoming more of a robot. I wouldn't say I was living the healthiest lifestyle. I was eating so much during that time. I mean, that's all we did at exchange. We ate when, when, when we were busy, we ate. When we were slow, we ate. It was just, a, <laughs> it was bad. Uh, you know, we had counts everywhere. It was, it was a great environment. It was fun. Don't get me wrong. But again, the lifestyle was very unhealthy. So I did leave when I did take that package. I left and um, 
And that spring, I remember I was uh, going to go play basketball, right? I used to always play basketball every spring. It was nothing new. It was like just routine. And I remember I was bending down and tying my shoelace. And I got up and I was out of breath. And that right there was the start. That's why I was like, man, I'm out of breath. This this is not good. So I, yeah, just my, my brother was already trained at the time. And I started talking to him like, man, dude, listen, I bent over the day and I was out of breath. So that's not good. Were you out of shape? At that time, yeah, I was out of shape. I was definitely out of shape. I was like maybe 245 pounds. Body fat percentage was like 30. It was like definitely in the 30s. I, I, I don't think I've ever shown you this picture. I got to show you this picture so you can <laughs> take a look and see the befores and afters. But again, I thought I was, here's a funny thing. I'm working Wall Street, but I'm thinking that I'm in shape because I had a gym membership. So I was part of the 85%. I'm not, I wasn't playing sports anymore. Now I'm in an environment where I'm working all day. I, I go to the gym in the morning, then I go to work. And, and I felt like, hey, listen, I went to the gym. I got on a treadmill. I looked at some weights. I felt like, oh, I'm good. But again, this is where the lifestyle comes back into play. And at that time, I, I definitely was, I mean, as much as I was playing basketball, when I was bent out of time, my shoelace, that was the first time I'd probably getting on the court since maybe uh, the fall, you know? So that was like the taste of reality. And then from there, it's like everything started just like snowball effect into more of the fitness. Uh, my mother, she had diabetes, heart disease. Both of my mother's parents, one died from a massive heart attack at 60. And then my grandmother, my grandfather died a massive heart attack at 60. And then my grandmother died from, I mean, she had diabetes. <sighs> so with those health factors, being a part of my family history, I was like, oh, you know what? I was actually my first client. It's the best way to put it. So I did more research on myself, got blood work done, started doing more research and decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dig more deeper into fitness overall. So of course, you know, went to personal training institute, went to, I pretty much went back to school as far as just committing to spending this time learning my body, learning what I want to do, how I want to, you know, all, I, I went back and anatomy and physiology became, it was like Pandora's box was opened up and I just started going in more and more and more and learning and getting certified. And one thing led to another, man, it became my passion. And I say that because, you know, here it is, I thought for, for so many years, like, you know, I want to be in Wall Street, I got to Wall Street, I got to where I wanted to be in, in the sense of, you know, working on the floor, working for two prestigious firms. And I felt like, you know, this, this was it. And I felt like I was definitely in the rat race, you know, I was day in and day out, you're on the floor, it's fun. And, you know, the, the adrenaline is going, it's, it's cool. But the passion wasn't there. You know, the passion and fitness really developed once I had time to really slow down from my everyday activity and really get to dive in on, on my own health and then, you know, looking at the family history. And um, once I got the family history together and started really working on my own body, that's when I really started to see how much more fun fitness was. You know, health and wealth was different. Was your drive purely money when you were pursuing the Wall Street path? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was nothing but money because... I mean, it was different. It was, um, it's, that's all that was around you. You know, it was, if you, if you, as a, as a youngster growing up, I mean, I always wanted to be either a stockbroker and a real estate agent. I was able to get to assistant trader and a real estate agent. So I had both and, and that's, I had both right in my, in my lineup from young. So when I was able to get to that position, it was like, oh, this, this is awesome. I mean, you're, you're pretty much rubbing elbows with, individuals who are getting million dollar bonuses so it's like to me in, in my sight that was success mm. you know, success was you know having to really be rewarded for your your nine to five or in my case it was like a six to five but it was it was great to know that the potential was strictly being pushed by the ability to climb the ladder to make money to be you know to achieve the success 
of what, again, what, what you consider yes, what I consider to be success at that time was, yes, the, the drive to make money, to you know live a more carefree lifestyle. But again, you know what? You have one perception of things until you actually get there and you see what comes with it, the sacrifice, the long days. I think anything that you anything that you want to do in life is always going to take hard work, right? For our own personal success. But it's what you sacrifice along the way that um that you get to see, you know, different sides of. How long did you work on Wall Street for? Ten years. Was it did it ever reach a point of like burnout? Like uh Oh. <laughs> burnout was an understatement man it was a burnout in the sense of you got to see the world from a different angle you know you got to see different things the floor was diverse because even though i worked for one firm and then went on to another firm you're still on the floor with every other firm so again it was a diverse floor where you had so many different you know cultures and backgrounds and individuals from different neck of the woods you know all over new york pennsylvania connecticut i mean so you had a lot of individuals that you interacted with and um and you got to see over time, like as much as you put in the hard work and, and you were able to get, you know, get my series, different series and, and was able to really just be there day in and day out. And sometimes you would be there. And, and, and unfortunately, it was, I would definitely have to say that you weren't in the best opportunity to always move forward. But it was a next man up mentality. So even though you had a lot of individuals that would come in and start from the ground up like myself and and get to a point where you feel like, all right, I've done this part, done this part, this part's coming to come next. You know, I, I did get to a point where I hit a wall, where it was just like, I was not the next man up. And because of that, that kind of, you know, I, I would definitely say that put the fire out a little bit. Because, you know, when you first get there, you're like, oh, man, this is great. I'm here. I'm going to I'm gonna bust my ass daily. I'm going to make sure, I, you know, I'm, I'm here early. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm the last one leaving. So you would do all that, and, and you get to a point where, all right, well, Am I next? And you're like, no, nah, not yet. Not yet. You, you know, it's like, so you cut after a while getting that not yet. It's like that fire slowly is just like getting put out, you know, mm. and you see it. And you know, that that's a little discouraging in comparison to where I am now, where I'm running my own business. And, you know, that fire is, is it's just it's two different, two different things. Yeah. I have no experience working on Wall Street. I'm sure there's things that are exciting, but I imagine most people who are there, it's driven by financial opportunity and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want, obviously, I'm sure you can attest to it. But pursuing whatever you're passionate about is probably far more rewarding. Absolutely. Definitely what separates between a, a job and a career. You know, I thought that was definitely in my career at that time until I actually saw how fast as well, how fast that you could think that you're heading towards, again, my, my vision of success. And in the instant, you know, computers come into play and all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, you want to go work on a desk, you want to work on the desk and work your way up from there. And I'm like, wait, it's almost like you're starting all over again. Mm. And that's why I took the severance package when when it was offered. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I feel like I, I was able to see enough in starting from the bottom and, and climb my way up and to have to reset that time of my life. I was like, you know what? I'd rather not. That's why I took the package. And I was like, you know what? Let me take some time off to myself. And what came next? Like, did you jump right into fitness or... Yeah, you know, you know, I I did take the time off, and that was my next move was fitness. I went straight into it I, after working on myself. I took some months, and you know, just definitely spent some time just trying to recoup. And I was still doing real estate at the time as well, so real estate was my backup, and I was still doing that. But I spent more time just again researching the fitness and and changing my routine. And my brother, like I told you, he was already training, so we we would just do a lot of you know iron sharpens iron. So he was definitely there to really give me some guidance. All right, this is what we should do. And, and going back and forth with just the anatomy itself is it takes you to a whole other level. It's like, you know, I, I looked at all the series that I've done 
And as much as you're like, all right, you know, you learn finance, you learn how to, you know, put this here and, and, and this there and stocks. It was different. It was like you're learning actually what, how amazing the body is, the, the body, how it can heal itself and what you can do to, again, whether it's drop fat or put on muscle and what it would take for the body to do these very things. A lot of things that you take for granted, you know, just simple, just mastication of food is, is it, it definitely was a lot of, a lot of light bulbs going off, you know, because a lot of things we, we take for granted just to very sleep that we do. We take that for granted. I had a, how my wife calls it, fear of missing out, FOMO. My, my daughter does that now where she fights her sleep because she's, you know, fear of missing out. And that was me. I felt like um, I always had to make an event, right? Or if if I knew that one of my coworkers was going to be there at 5.30, then I got to be there at 5.20. And I, think, I feel like the competition was great for that in the sense of, all right, you know, it's going to drive me, it's going to get me there, and I want to be there early, I want to be that face. First one, when, 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 you know, the head guys walk in. I mean, it's great. But again, rest is still important. You know, I, I listen to a lot of individuals who, you know, whether it's a celebrity that has a lifestyle where they're saying they're up at four in the morning and then they're back in, in their bed at one o'clock. I'm like, so three hours. And then you, you look at their bodies and you look at what they're on a regimen. They may have a, a personal chef that's cooking their food. They may have that look of the body because they have that part down packed. But the sacrifice of what they're doing, your growth hormones release while you're sleeping. So I'm not saying that we, should, we need to all get 12 hours of rest, but we need to get enough rest where our bodies can be rewarded right? For the physical stress that we put on it during our workouts, we, we have to do something that at least gives the body the opportunity to grow because that's what we want to do. Whether we want to grow, you know, we want to drop fat, whatever it is, the body is hard to do if we're not giving it rest. You know, we're not machines. And I feel like um, you get to see that in the long run, how to balance everything out because again, it still comes back to commitment and how you can balance all that has a lifestyle. And I think that's that's where it always comes back to the hardest part is how do we balance everything with, you know, again, whether it's your business, whether it's your family, whatever it is, how do you balance all that out so that you're living a healthier lifestyle? Did you like real estate when you were doing that? I love real estate. Real estate's fun, you know, but I definitely have to say, like, as much as I thought I would have more of a deeper passion for it, it was fun. But you did have those moments where, like, you just finished showing 10 homes of what a person asks for. And they say they want A, B, C, D, and you give them A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And and you go out there, you look at those, and, and they're like, ah, I'm not, uh, all right, so let's do this again. So that became a little redundant. It was fun. It was definitely fun for the years, but that did become redundant. So, again, I, I feel like you have these experiences in life so you can just really discover where you want to be. And I feel like that time comes eventually to, you know, having your eyes open, you know, and really, and really just – being spiritually connected as well, I feel like, you know, that that plays a whole hard I mean a harder role where, you know, you pray about certain things, you want certain things to happen, and then when it does happen, then you're like, Man, why did I ask for this? And I felt like at that point, I really say much it was fun, the market was different. It wasn't consistent. And again, not making excuses, you know, because I feel like, you know what, you have some very successful individuals out there that just they have the passion for it. So they continue to pursue and they continue to, you know, even when the market's down, they're still finding other ways to make things happen. And for me, it was like as much as real estate was fun. I didn't, again, the, the passion isn't there. Then there was, you know, it, it takes the fun out of it. You know, fitness for me has been that, that, that passion. Fitness is, is not only, you know, when I'm training my client, but that could be just when my wife and I are talking about, or my brothers and I are talking about, or we're just talking about just different things to, to live, again, a better lifestyle or, or a healthier lifestyle. It's always going to come back to, you know, you know, what are you doing food-wise? What are you doing hydrate? Did you hydrate enough? You know, how are you feeling today? You know, do, you know, I had a lot of individuals that, you know, they're so locked into coffee that the minute they don't have a coffee, they're like, I have a headache. So it's like, 
when you hear these different things, it's like you almost you just want to help people. You know, mm. you want to help individuals that that are struggling that degree. You want to help guide them. And I felt with real estate it was fun, but again, it's, it was easier to just get back on the computer, find what house, and, and it was fun looking at homes and you know the architecture of homes. But at the while, you almost you've seen majority, especially you know you. you Especially if you're looking in the same areas, you know, you pretty much can know what contract to build this one or, you know, to me that got a little redundant, you know. A lot of people listening to this are probably wondering, you're in the pursuit of the financial upside of working on Wall Street for 10 years and then you go into the fitness industry as, as a professional trainer. How difficult was that for you to, I guess, just accept like the drastic difference? And obviously you have like your passion on this on this end. It's like black and white. So there's no difference there. Yes, absolutely. Definitely the severance package helped out, mm. you know, that did help me make my decision, you know, to, to, to go a little deeper, you know, I was uh, as much as at one point Wall Street was definitely where I wanted to be. It also was a place that I, I got to see a lot of reality as well. You know, this day and age, obviously, we're still dealing with the same thing as far as I would say current events, you know, we're going to talk about, I'll, I'll dip in a little bit as far as like racism. And at that time, you know, you saw a lot of individuals as that would come in underneath and maybe come straight out of college, no series, no series seven, no series three, nothing to really give them that boost, but they would get a position and they would get a position that you, you naturally worked your behind all for. And, you know, then you would get told like, all right, you know what, you're next. And you see it happen again and again and again. It's like, you know what? It gets to a point where you were just like, all right, this, this is, I mean, as much as the money was good, as much money was great. You still were in a position where you were reliant on, you know, you're always reliant on the next individual, whether it was your boss who may leave the company and go to go to another firm because that took place a lot too. I definitely got to a position where I was like, how many more years do I want to spend doing the same thing, chasing, chasing the stream? Because I felt like that was a wall that I hit. And once I did hit it, I was just like, all right, well, as much as I took a big cut coming out of the finance industry and going into training, I also, I think, gained back a lot of years by being in a definitely a stress-free environment. Mm. You had mentioned to me also prior to this podcast that people who are white would just climb the ladder a little bit faster, right? Or they would get more opportunities. Yes. And it wasn't it wasn't necessarily what you knew, it was who you knew. Absolutely. And I learned that firsthand. Uh, like I told you, like I'd, I'd want to be in there. I want to get my series. I want to, I want to do things that would get me into the next position because ultimately I want to be a broker. Day in and day out, you would see individuals that would get those opportunities and you would see individuals that, again, were able to climb that ladder without putting in half of the work that I was putting in. And I felt like, you know what, you saw it all around. It wasn't just me. I felt like it was a lot of firms just really did, you know, if, if you came in as a as a, a student or a family member, you were going to get a spot on the floor right away. Now, again, I came in as a runner at the time for the company I worked for, very first worked for with Bear Stearns. And when I came and I, I did climb, I went uh, status clerk, I mean, uh, questionable trade clerk and I climbed, you know, I, I did my part and I, and I got to a point where I felt like, all right, next up. And, and I wasn't next up. You know, I, I saw other guys that came mm. in to the same, same firm, came in right underneath me, has same position. And before you know it, they were elevated. So when you saw that at the wild, it's like, that definitely was a little discouraging. Was that surprising to you or was that something that you were just like used to or accustomed to or you've experienced previously? No, th this was the first time. I would definitely have to say I was a little naive in the beginning. You know, again, I was young. So I felt like, all right, it's just a matter of me just putting in more work because that's, that's what you heard. Like, listen, it's hard work to get here. You have a lot of mentors around you. You talk to them like, listen, what do I have to do? And they say, hey, you got to do this. So you go and do that. And you're like, right, man, I already, I already went and did this. I got this knocked out. I already done extra here. 
And then eventually you're like, all right, I have to be next. And then you would hear the word through the grapevine, like someone else got this position. You're like, well, how'd that happen? So it became, after a while, it went from me being naive and being surprised by it to me realizing that this is not something that was new. It was something that happened on a regular basis, you know? Mm. And, um, you know, as you start to take a, a, a take a step back and really look at individuals and, and really start just asking questions like, oh, so what did you do before this? And you'd be like, oh, well, I, just gradu- I just graduated college. I'm like, all right, so what did you do on Wall Street? And they're like, well, no, I have no experience. So when you hear that, it's almost like a smack in the face, especially when you speak to individuals who were telling you, like, get this, man. Once you get this, you're in, right? And you've been there years already, so you have the seniority. But, you know, they'll make it seem like seniority is what's needed. But then you would give this fresh individual because they knew this person. I'm like, all right, so this is not really more so of what you know. You could, I don't care if you have all the series locked up. It's really who you know. And you saw that time and time and time again. It's really that's who you knew. If you knew this individual, they're going to bring you right in. They're going to bring you in to, to seem like you're going to start. And then once you're in, they're going to pull you right up to where you want to. And I, I saw that time and time again. So as much as that was discouraging, I do feel like your biggest failures can catapult you into your biggest success because who knows where I've been if, if, if I didn't take that package right now. I could probably still be on the floor as a, as a I mean, still be on a trading desk doing something. I don't know, but I, I don't think I would be as happy. And I definitely don't think I would be as healthy. Of course, it's hypothetically speaking, but I already know my lifestyle then. And, and I feel like that lifestyle <laughs> was too easy. <laughs> it was just too easy. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I mean, I remember days, man, there were like 10,000 White Castle burgers. <laughs> just think about that number. 10,000. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. So I definitely think that, you know, I think that the stress, and again, it's not to say that I was playing with anyone's money, you know, because in, in, when you're working on the floor, you're pretty much just executing. But the stress levels are there. You know, you do take some things at home with you at night. And I must say, with, with training, it's the total opposite. You know, even with real estate, you're still like, man, I, I got to get this person a house. I got, you know, I got to get this person an apartment. So you're still thinking about it. You go home, you're still doing it. What separates the career from the job is the fact that, you know, the job you're doing it and you're not going to really have that passion. You're like, all right, I got to get up and make the donuts almost. That's, that's the kind of model you have. And, and again, you, you're going there to do it. You know, it's going to provide food and table for your family, pay the rent, pay the mortgage. And it's great to have something that obviously, you know, you'd rather have than not. But definitely it's a different mentality when you're, when you have your career, because you're, you're pretty much, you're working hours. Sometimes you're working hours for free and you're not thinking about the fact that you're working. You're just thinking about the fact that I'm helping someone. I'm, whether someone that just said, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like, like I, I get a little depressed from eating, you know, so they start to do the opposite, which is not eat. I mean, you have so many different scenarios that come your way and to have the knowledge and to have the, the passion for it, you know, you feel great to be able to impart in, you know, into many others' lives that helps them get past that, whatever it is that they're dealing with, whether it's just, again, whether it's just drop fat, whether it's just to build muscle, whatever it is that you can help with and, you, and you're not thinking about, you know, all right, well, Got to think about the dollar on this one. No, I mean, it's, it is a business. Let's not get that misconstrued. But your driving your passion towards helping people is bigger than you and it's bigger than the business. Yeah. And you had mentioned to me, you trained out of several like big chain gyms. When you were there, you were you were hustling, you know, yes. closing more memberships than, than anyone else. I always say, like, I always believe that it's very, very difficult to do. But when you can find both what you're great at and what you love, that sort of puts you in the path to find the best career path. But I think it's easier said than done because I think oftentimes people have one, but not the other. So I think a lot of people find something they're great at, but maybe they don't love it or there's something they love, but they don't like know how to turn it into a business. Mm. You hit the nail right on the head. The truth is working for a lot of gems that I've worked for, anywhere from export to Equinox to 
a synergy to, I mean, overall in a big scale, right? It's sales, you know, and, and that's the honest truth. I'm sure any, any, uh, personal trainer slash coach, you know, again, I work UFC, the number one goal that's being pushed is sales. And that mentality only, I mean, obviously it's a part of the package, right? When you come into a gym and as a trainer, you, you know, you're, you're looking to promote yourself because you got to show what knowledge you have. And I did anything from walking the floor and pretty much just seeing someone, do, you know, doing something wrong and say, listen, hey, you're doing that wrong. Why don't I show you how? Why don't you do an assessment? We do an assessment so we can, we can, uh, you know, fix that as well as, you know, try and see what else, what, what goals you're looking for. Because if you're doing this wrong, it means you're more likely doing other things wrong. That really is, is the humbling part, you know, because it's like, right, wait, I'm going to walk on the floor. It's like, Whereas some have that personality so that you can actually just spark a conversation off of just maybe the kind of sneakers you're wearing. Not everyone has that ability. You know, it's like you, you learn anatomy, you learn how extension, flexion, you learn how the body works together. What you don't learn is how do I take this out onto that floor and help this person without them thinking that I'm going to sell to them. And for me, it's easy. I don't care about, I mean, and I don't, don't want to make this sound bad, but you, you really shouldn't be focused on your sale. Because to me, it's like if you invest in yourself and you invest in your knowledge and you're imparting that knowledge into that individual and you're, you're giving them what they need to know, it will come naturally. That, and that's the honest truth. If you actually invest into trying to help that person more, then more than likely nine out of 10 times, I'm sure that individual will say, you know what? I don't want to hurt myself. You know, I don't want to hurt myself on the machine. I'm here to work out. I'm here to, to get healthier. And no matter what that what that route is for you to get healthier you're willing to invest in yourself rather than doing something that you're going to hurt yourself and, and take yourself out of the gym. But that, that was the biggest thing. Everyone, you know, when you, when you looked at your experience as a trainer and then you went as far and said, all right, well, now that this is my experience as a trainer, this is my resume, and you presented it. And then, you know, the first thing is to introduce you to the system. But the next thing is say, all right, well, we need to get you out there and, and get you some clients. And then after that, it was like, the, oh, it was always the redundant. All right, so now that we have you some clients, now we got to get you up to this much a month. And again, it's a business plan, so it, it's, it's needed. But what I, what I did find is the loophole in that whole business plan was that not every gym was focused on making sure that the trainer stayed educated. Some gyms were very big in it, uh, and they, they had uh, development training on a weekly basis, monthly, and others weren't. But I, I did mm -hmm. notice that most gyms were always focused on how do we sell more? And again, uh, already set records in gyms for, for selling X amount of sessions in one month, in one actual sale package you know it's like it was easy to do because pretty much the, the client was invested in themselves they believed in themselves just as much as they believed in you and they want to see that change over a certain amount of time you know they weren't just saying well i, I want to do a two-week package oh yeah clients that were committing to a year package you know mm. it, it was just different because they believed in what you offer and which was overall to help them live a healthier lifestyle and again no matter what that area was as far as whether again fat loss uh, muscle gain to make a difference. A client was committed to you because you believed in them. You believed in, in in making them a healthier person overall, and and I feel that's what it boiled down to. You know, definitely as a trainer, I feel like the the biggest flaw is that most trainers just get like to say one certification or they get they graduate from college with with, with that degree and and then they just they leave it there. And I feel like the the market itself anatomy is changing daily. You know, in the sense of. There's different things that come out, whether it's a routine, whether it's the latest exercise equipment, whether it's the latest discovery that science is, you know, are now science will, will be back in things that we years ago we did and we thought it was right. And then now they're like, you know what? That was actually wrong. And I remember a lot of my coaches tell me, I used to always, um, you know, after, after we did laps, whatever we did, and then you be out of, be out of breath. And the first thing we do, we lean over and I, you know, grab my shorts and, and I lean forward. And, and the first thing I remember coach saying, hey, Grant, take your hands off your shorts. 
get your hands above your head and stand up tall. And for so long, it's like you you were boxed into doing that, all right? And then mm. and then you discover later on that you get your best recovery by doing the same thing I was doing naturally. You get your best recovery for your heart by bending over versus by standing tall. So you learn as you go along that it's very important to keep education is the biggest thing. As a trainer, you should be trying to get as much continued education each year. And by investing in yourself, you only equip yourself to be able to give more knowledge to your clients. Yeah, I know I know a lot of trainers that I don't know if they have any sort of formal background or, or training. I think they work hard for the shape they're in, but they like working out and they, they have a good build. But I definitely know plenty of trainers that I don't know if they've ever spent any time, you know, reading, studying, learning, etc. I'm curious, you know, you've worked at some of these big box gyms, let's call it. We touched upon just like the social climate right now with, with everything going on, the protests, racism in America. Did you experience any of that in, in any of the, the big box gyms? Funny enough, I never did. It's funny, but I feel like um, I never ha- had that kind of encounter. Uh, there was a time where I felt like our manager, one of our managers, would constantly just give us clients who were same race. And that was one thing I had to bring one time, like, why did, why do I keep getting the same clientele? He goes, what do you mean? I was like, the last three clients that have come my way have been all African-American. And he goes, don't ever let that be the barrier. It's, it's funny that you brought it up. Um, I, and I had to explain it. And of course he was African-American. So he just figured like, yeah, yeah, listen, I know that you'll be able to sell them. You could communicate with them better. I'm like, I don't care if I communicate with them better. The problem with that is you're pretty much setting a, a tone that should not be with the culture that we that we pretty much as trainers have created, especially in that gym at the time. It, it was a very, di- you know, the trainers were diverse and, and we all built together a, a, a strong culture that was just based on, again, not your average, just come and work out. Our trainer was really based on trying to help clients and, and we did it together. It was, it was, it was such a system that, even if I was going to be out, it was easy to be like, all right, well, you could work with trainer A, B, C, or D. Or, it didn't make a difference because everyone knew each other. Mm. And and that was one thing at a time. And again, it wasn't anything other than just like, <laughs> you know, you, you're gearing individuals toward, toward a certain way. And I was like, you know, it, we need to be as diverse as possible, right? Because with training, you don't, you don't really, you don't look at anything else other than making sure that this person's Physical appearance is is what they're, or, you know, whether it's, again, a a recovery, whatever it is, you're just trying to help them. So that's where the sales will come into play, Mm. you know, because it wasn't focused on helping that person. It was focused on what you're going to get along with them. So if they're going to trust anyone, they're going to trust you based on your race. And that was something that had to, uh, had to be nipped in the bud. But that was the only time. That was the only thing that I can really say. Other than that, I've never had anything where I'd be like, I was never held from a position, never never um, looked down upon or, or anything in comparison to working on Wall Street. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I've really just been trying to do a lot of listening during this time. And I'd say listening more than anything to educate myself just around racism in, in America. And I guess, you know, being a white man of privilege. I mean, I listened to a podcast a few days ago, and it was uh, titled something along the lines of wellness is a privilege in, in America. And oh. um, it opened my eyes quite a bit because, I mean, listen, you're coming, you're coming to my house, you know, you're coming, you're coming over twice a week. That's a privilege. You know, yeah. you're, you're coming over to work out. That's a privilege. The opportunities I have to educate myself or get a coach to educate myself around fitness, nutrition, whatever it is, that's a privilege. The, the studios in yeah. Manhattan, that's all a privilege. So 
I've been trying to really, I'd say really listen more than anything during this time. But, you know, it, it's definitely, I guess before all this, I would never think going to a studio is, is a privilege, but I'm starting to wrap my head around it. It's funny you say that because, um, like I mentioned, my brother and I, we do a lot of things together and we do a lot of give backs, like um, do a lot of uh, career days where you go into, you know, again, urban neighborhoods and you go into school systems where they don't know what a personal trainer is, mm. you know, so you're able to give some kind of ideas to individuals who have no clue, you know, what it is. You, know, you say a coach, they think coach is automatically sport. They don't think of it as, you know, well, what else do you do? And you get this question, is that what you do full time? <laughs> you know, you heard it from students, you've heard it from others, like, wow, you do that full time? Like, yeah, you know, but they don't understand what it is exactly as far as the business concern. I've seen time and time again where you're able to go into schools and, and no one knows what a trainer is, but no one even knows how to perceive what a trainer would do on a one to one basis. What a trainer does, you know, we've had classes that we actually train the class and we work with the youth and we try and get them back to just getting moving because not only do they know, do they not know what a trainer is, but they don't, some only recognize a school gym has a gym. Mm. You know, they don't know exactly what it is. So, you know, whereas you, the closest thing you might get to is, is maybe like, again, a basketball court and maybe a tennis court. So it definitely is, is mind blowing to a lot of individuals when they even know what is a personal trainer entail all around. That in the beginning was a little mind blowing because, you know, we, again, we like to give back to career days and, and be able to sit down with, with students and, and answer a lot of questions. And, and the question they come out with, I mean, it's just kind of throws you for a loop. So it's funny that you, you should mention that because I can't really say that we take advantage, right? I think it's just, if it's never brought up, you would never look at it, right? Is that the direction mm -hmm. that you would think? Like if you, if this never happened now, would you still be looking at it as a privilege? Mm. Probably not because it wouldn't have ever been brought up, right? I don't think the looting is great, obviously, but the conversation that's being had at a massive level right now, I think is is necessary and incredible that it's happening. Absolutely. I, I agree. I agree with you on both ends. I mean, even, even resources, if you look at like an inner city, it's definitely, I mean, having a personal trainer is is a privilege. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I can tell you this, for the most part, of course, depending on where dem demographics have that gym is located, again, the number of individuals that will be buying packages is always going to be based on demographics, right? Listen, if I was working in Great Neck, majority of my clients were Jewish, white, Jewish, Italian. Like, that was my clientele. Yeah. If I was working in New Hyde Park, again, based on demographics, so you had a lot more, a bigger, diverse community over there. But if you're looking at, you know, I've, I've you know me, I've, I travel a lot, so I've gone to gyms like in the Brooklyn area and kind of demographics are different. But then again, you can just tell depending on what gym you're in, who was I to buy a package and who wasn't. Yeah. You know, and sometimes the privilege just going to the gym, you know, you're going to see planet fitness in, in different areas because it's $10 a month and there's no, tra there's really no trainers there, you know? Mm. So for some, it's just the ability to go to the gym. That is the privilege. And for others, yes, getting a trainer, that is the privilege. Mm, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. So we'll we'll start to um, wrap up the show. Some fan questions. So, Ooh, did you cool. ever have to fire fire someone that hired you? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I have fired clients before. Again, personal training is not looked upon just as a coach. You're looked upon as a therapist. You're looked upon as um, eye candy. You name it. That's pretty what you are. And unfortunately, yeah, you know, I've had clients that they'll talk talk for the whole session. Again, listen, you're, you're coming to work out. And, you know, as you grow in the industry, you start to realize, listen, you're not, I'm not a boot camp instructor, so I'm not trying to make you leave the session and, and crawl back to your car, but I want you to work and you're paying for the session. And 
in order to do that, I have to make sure that I have accountability to myself just as much as accountability to you. I mean, because it's easy for me to say, listen, this is an easy hour. I know this person's going to want to talk. Let's start talking about sports. And I know that that's 30 minutes knocked out right, right away. I finish you off with a couple exercises that make you out of breath and I'm done, right? But no, mm-hmm. you've got to keep your integrity business. I've fired clients. I had one client that, that talked to me for a total of 10 minutes. And I said, listen, this is a waste of your time and a waste of my time. Because guess what? The, at the end of the day, you're always on display. You're always, as a trainer, you are on stage every time you go out there with a client. So if you're walking by as a new member and you'd be like, man, I just walked into the locker room, changed my clothes, and they're still doing the same, they're on the same machine or they're doing the same exercise and she's still talking or he's still talking, there's a problem with that. You know, so I, I fire clients based on the fact that you haven't taken it serious, have no problem doing that, you know, because for one, I, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know what, I, I, it's a good thing for me and for you, you know, because I don't want to waste time here. Like I put time in to design a routine for you. And if we're still, if we're still on the beginning of that routine and we're already 45 minutes into the session, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind firing you. I mean, listen, I want to have fun and, and I love having fun. I love to, come on, I love training you guys. It's fun. We have a great time. We get there before you know it, the hour's over. Yeah. You, like, like I've already gone through the, through the whole routine. You've gone through it. You, you guys have executed and, and you have a good burn. And that's the way it should be. Endorphins are going and you're probably ready for your day to, to eat, ride, and, and to really just knock out whatever goals you have. But it's a good way to start off. And you know what? You don't want to take advantage of individuals because it's easy to do. Mm, absolutely. In all your years as a trainer, what would you say has been your, what you feel is the moment that you're most proud of? My most proud moment. I will say multiple times, it's, it's really just going to be seeing my client achieve a goal that they didn't believe in themselves. That's always going to be what does it for me. Uh, you know, seeing a client that you tell them, listen, and it's not always about the loss, not always about the gain. I've had clients that um that never thought they could walk again. I have clients that never thought they could do a pull-up. So to see that, to see any client that can really do something that they didn't believe they would be able to do, that is my biggest goal that I have achieved because I, I love seeing that time and time again. That's what does it for me. Mm. I want to see you say, and I definitely have had clients who borderline diabetics, doctors saying that, you know what, in a couple months, you know, you're on, you're, you know, you have to go on medication. They get on medication and we work together to create a lifestyle that they no longer need that medication. To me, that's always hands down one of the biggest achievements I can always, you know, be happy with. I meant to ask you, so I guess I want to go backwards before we wrap it up. You have a deep passion for bowling, correct? Absolutely. I want to talk about bowling before we ended this episode. Let's talk. How do you find bowling? So bowling, now you're hitting another passion. This is a whole different subject right now, but it's great. Now, bowling is um, something I've been doing since I was about 14 years old in the church. You know, church started a league, got involved the league, and I loved it. I felt like... My grandfather used to always watch bowling. I used to love watching it, but I don't know why we never really went out and, and, and did it. And it just seemed like for so long, you know, we had the league. The league ran. It was good. We had the league run for about a couple of years. And I don't know why, you know, and this is where mentorship comes in, but my high school offered bowling, right? And I never, I never even, never clicked because I was like football, basketball, like, you know. And then when I was doing bowling, I was doing bowling, you know, bowling league at night and it was fun. And I never took it to another level in in high school, and then um, years later, I, I was started started. I mean, I was bowling my father, my uncle, my brother. We started. I mean, started bowling another league, and from there, man, I um, I always had a love for the sport, and it just grew more and more after our initiate start in uh, fourteen years old. I think we only stayed in that league in the church from like fourteen to seventeen, three years. Then we stopped, and then we got back in. Uh, I got back involved again at maybe like twenty one. After twenty one. 
I just kept going, man. You know, and it's, it's a deep passion. I love bowling. What do you love about it? I love the fact that, you know what, it's it's a lot more technical than you think. You know, for for the average recreational bowler that goes to the alley and is like, I got to throw this ball 100 miles per hour to get the pins down. It's a lot. It's a lot more technical. It's all about the very ball that you have. You can look at a bowling ball as tires, okay? So you have, you know, all traction. You have snow tires. You have spring tires. Some Like, it's all about, you know, the different ball and, and the oil, the oil that they lay down the lane. It could be short pattern. It could be long pattern. So it's, it's really about being as consistent and being technically, it's all about your mechanics. You know, it's about being able to repeat a shot. It's about being able to balance yourself with the line. All these are things that come from, again, no difference. It's repetitive movement and it's, it's, a, it's a competition. I love, I love competition. Can you hit a strike every time? Pretty consistent. I've shown, I've thrown perfect games. Like I said, I just won my first major. I've won other. I mean, I've, I've cashed on a lot of tournaments, but I won my first major tournament in February this year. And yeah, I'm pretty consistent. Everyone listening to this is like, what's a major tournament? So a major tournament, I just, I just won like um, it's a there's a tournament here on Long Island, so LIBGT tournament, Long Island Generations Bowling Tournament. So you had out of 500 bowlers, I came in first. <laughs> oh grand, grand prize of yeah, grand prize of five thousand dollars. Like I've seen bowling on ESPN. Can you get there? Is that like, is that what you're striving to do or it's just like a passion? Oh, it's a great passion. Uh, I do plan on I, this year would have been my, the year. And, and it's, I mean, we still have, we do have months left in 2020, but I do want to get my pro card and be able to compete on a pro level. And yes, and, and be able to compete on ESPN one day. How do you get a pro card? I should have started much, the podcast for this. <laughs> you, um, you have to maintain an average of 205 and better for a whole year. And then pretty much you pay your fees and then you have to bowl, you have to actually bowl regional tournaments on a yearly basis. Any of those tournaments you actually can advance in, you can, you know, go to the next level. I mean, pretty much you can, if you already have your PBA card, you can go out to Vegas and bowl those same individuals that you do see on ESPN. And it really just takes some consistency there as well. You got to be committed and consistent and, and you can be, you know, battling a, a pro bowler at any given tournament. At that point, at that stage, like when you're on ESPN and you're competing at that level, yeah, you look at those people basically and you watch it on TV, they hit a strike basically every time. Yes. With that being said, how much at that at that level is mental versus technical? 90% is mental. It's a big mental sport. Big mental because um, you know what? In that moment, in that very moment, your, your technique becomes natural. It's like almost like riding a bike to a degree. It's like you get on a bike and you start riding. And once you're in a zone, you're in a zone. And you know that you have to play this area. So mental, it's, it's so mental because you have to lock into, again, the oil changes as you're bowling. You really have to, to, to make sure that your mind is clear on what you're trying to achieve, where, where you're trying to project that ball to go. Because if, if you're not there mentally, then the game is over before it started. You really have to be locked in. Like it's this is not um uh, just throwing a ball and hoping for the best. You really want to mm. be able to know that you're really in sync with what you're doing with the ball, how you're following through, breathing patterns. You know, it, it's a lot physical, but th- your mental execution is what's going to win you. And if if you a, a lot of uh, pros when they you know when you you know I've, I've done a lot of pro shot. I mean um a lot of uh different work with the pros and 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 they'll tell you like listen if if you want to be able to execute. Your mental has to be there. Do you think any of those top players are working with a mental coach or anything in that capacity, even like a hypnosis or something like that? It's funny because you you have individuals that 
their regimen is big. Their their workout regimen is big. Definitely a lot of yoga. You know, they they're big on again just being able to get into a zone. And um, even I myself, I, you know, I I do that. I make sure I try and get in just some meditation time because you know certain certain things that plays a big role. Again, if your adrenaline is rushing in practice, and and this happened this happened often before I started work with a couple guys at a couple seminars they did. But naturally in practice, you're hitting every shot. You know, you're practicing. And you're like, oh man, this is automatic. And then once they turn the lanes on to actually score, all of a sudden mm. it's like, I lost my shot. Like, where'd you lose your shot? No, you didn't lose your shot. The adrenaline has has now hit you. And and it's always good. They recommend it's always good that you sit down, breathe, and get that out of your system because nine out of ten times, that first shot can lead into your next your next 12 to be the worst shots because you're overthinking, you're trying to get line back in, you're wondering what's going on, you're changing ball. It makes a difference to really get your mental locked in before you. And, and you gotta have, you gotta be able to practice these things. You know, you gotta know it right away. And it's like, all right, you know what? I, I normally practice, then I'll sit down, I'll breathe, and I'll, I'll calm the body down. Then when I'm ready, you know, I have a routine before, I, you know, before every shot, I wipe the ball down and, and I relax the body. And there's two different things that makes it a lot more natural. So every time I go up there, at least that part, the mm. physical is natural, and the mental, you, just, you make your changes accordingly. Is there a pro bowler that you aspire to be one day? Ooh, favorite? Let me give you my Maybe top more three. than one. <laughs> yeah, it's top three. Definitely, I'm a big fan of Norm Duke, Norm Duke, Jason Belmonte, and Chris Barnes. Those three. And, and, and I can't leave out Amaletto Montelli. He, all four of those guys, I, I watch their game time and time again. I, I constantly YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. I, I've had the pleasure, pleasure of working with Amaletto at a, at a, he came down to the pro shop and, and he did a um, seminar with us one day. Those are my my four. Like the way they execute, they said Belmonte is the number one bowler right now. He's a two-handed bowler, change the game up. And he's definitely number one bowler on the tour. He's just the guy's sick. You know, he, he doesn't miss. He doesn't miss. He does. He's a two-handed bowler. When you get a chance, just go on YouTube and look up Jason Belmonte and see what he does. Two-handed bowler. The amount of championships he's won already in the time that he's been in the industry, he's killed it. You know, and he's and for someone who's revolutionize the game in the sense of like he went from one hand to bowl and he, he's doing two hands the revs that he puts on the spoil i mean two hand bowlers get a lot of they get a lot of flack because of two hand bowlers are saying that some individual goes far to say you know it's not fair but you know what listen there's nothing there's no law against it and he executes it well and he's a great bowler man but those are the those are my top four that i'm that anytime i'm trying to learn anything from i'm gonna get on youtube or i'll, I'll get i'll get in the books and see what techniques they're doing because they're, they're great, great at what they do. It's not the natural way, using two hands? Yes, it's not. It, you know what? It it gives you more revs. So because it gives you more revs, a lot of individuals look at it as like it's it's a technique that hasn't been used before. But it's no different. You know what? When, when I grab the ball, I'm still putting two hands on the ball. But the difference is that they a two-handed bowler is actually using both hands to actually hit the ball at the end. Whereas me, I'm just using one hand to support and when it drops, it's in one hand. So they've gotten flack, but again, you can't knock it. You know, to me, it's like I've seen some of the most unorthodox bowlers that consistently strike. Can't knock mm. it. You know, there's no specific way that you have to throw the ball. You know, get a strike. You know, there's there's individuals who just throw it differently. That's all. Yeah, this I just looked up this guy, Jason Omonte. He looks he looks sick. You gotta look at his trick. Look at his trick shots that he does. He they, they does he does one where he just puts different things on the lanes and still gets a strike with it. it I'm going to check it out. So last question, just to wrap this up. My show is all about facing adversity, building your dream life. With that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love? And I know we, we covered a lot of things that a lot of people can take away, but what would be your, your bits of gold 
how to build your dream life, how to build a life you love. Okay. First and foremost, for me personally, pray about it, right? Um, I would definitely, you know, again, not, not any denomination, but to me, it's like my spiritual is first and foremost and really pursue your passion. If I'm going to, if I'm going to say anything that you should really want to do, your passion should come from something you pretty much would do for free, you know, and, and really love doing it. You know, it should, it shouldn't be where, where you're, um, spending so much time on, on trying to find it, what it is we do. Cause there's so many things. Again, the same way I can talk to you about bowling, I could probably stay here and talk, talk to you a couple more hours <laughs> and we can just keep going back and forth about bowling or the same thing about fitness. Because again, it's the passion. It's something that I can keep putting my drive and my fire into because I, I love it. And I feel like once you're doing things that you love, everything else, you know, you push through the adversity, you push through the things that you have to hit roadblocks along the way. I feel like this is a part of life. And I feel like we always have to learn from our experiences along the way. But our experiences should make us better. You know, it's like if, if I continue to let everything, if I let, let the negatives always take control, I think that that's when there's a, a time where you have to just sit back and reflect on like, all right, well, do I need to be here? But, you know, once you do find that passion, adversity should be a part of your journey. And once you continue to push past that adversity and continue to really pursue what you consider to be your success and what really pushes you to get up in the morning and, and have fun, you know, head into, you know, me, me I have fun to head into my, my first appointment to my last appointment. I'm looking forward to just, you know, just interacting with, you know, whether it's you guys or who, any of my clients for the most part. I feel like that is what you should be able to be pursuing. Pursue that passion, but pursue what's going to drive you to be a better human being, not just, for, again, for the sake of money, to just be a better human being for whatever it is you're doing. I don't care if you're making a, a coffee at Starbucks, you know, hmm. you know, that coffee that someone hands you with love, it's, it's different, you know, it's, it's like, and I think that's what we should always be doing. We should always be pushing to make ourselves better, to make the next man better, the next man, woman better. I mean, I feel like that is what we all should be pursuing in life. You know, we're here once, let's enjoy it to the fullest and, and help others get there as well. Yeah, I love that. I love your story because it's funny. I, I think so many people get lost pursuing money and, not that there's anything bad necessarily with with being on that pursuit, being on the pursuit for financial freedom or the financial gain. A lot of people are in business to make money, and I, I don't think there's any problem with that. But I think a lot of people pursue it, pursue it, pursue it, and one, you may never get there, whatever those whatever those aspirations are, or you get there and you realize you're still not happy, you're miserable. You know, we could play out a few different. Uh, oh, yeah. scenarios, yeah. but you get there, you're out of shape. Yes. You're not connected spiritually. You didn't pay any attention to your family over the last decade. There's a lot of, you know, I think balance is important in everything, but I think you hit the nail on the head, just pursuing your passion. I always say I've had a unique journey myself in terms of the way I've approached business and building a professional career and continue to do so. But I've always felt that, you know, I'd, I'd rather make less and pursue what I love in hopes that one day I can figure out a way to be so great at that, that it doesn't feel like work and I'll actually have the opportunity to make more, but still be okay with making less because I'm waking up every day living living my dream. And you know what? That's hitting the nail on the head, man. I, I, I love that all together because that essentially is where you want to be. You want to be in a position just exactly like how you laid it out, man. It, there's no other reward. Like you asked me earlier, like what's my greatest achievement? And, and I really can't name one in particular because I feel like in my profession, I feel like everyone that is achieving a goal it doesn't have to be tremendous weight loss. I feel like, again, if you can do a pull-up, and when we first met, you couldn't do a pull-up, 
I love seeing that. I love seeing mm. that, you know, you getting past something. You know, I love seeing the, the kids that I work with that, you know, couldn't think they could run fast. And now they are running fast. Or they are, are they able to make the team? Those aren't small. Those aren't small victories. Those are huge. You know, because you don't, you just don't realize it. But that to me is what the passion is about. It's about being able to give. Again, forget about the financial side of it. Just, we know that's a part of business. But yeah. it's when you give up yourself and you can walk away like, man, you know, I, I love the fact that this person, even if it's that one per, one client out of ten for the day that was able to do something different that they couldn't do, I'm ecstatic, man. I'm blown away. Mm. Money is such a weird thing. I'm always telling. Uh... I'm always talking to some friends who are, who are uh, like life coaches, career coaches, business coaches. It's so weird how people have the weirdest relationship with money, how it can drive you to do things that make you completely miserable. Oh, dude, can I tell you something? You know what? I, I can't believe how I left this out, but I think that we just touched on things. My mother died in 2016. I got engaged to my wife, Jen, in December, December 7th of 2016. And that following year was another year. And now imagine you're in your passion. I'm in my passion. Things are going great. Obviously, my mother passing wasn't something that, you know, nobody wants that, but it happened. She died young, 68 years old. And, and then here it is. I'm, I'm getting ready to get married. And I'm feeling like my passion actually got challenged during this time. Now, I'm in fitness now, right? Mm. And at that time, the company I was working with, I'm not even going to start calling names, but the company I was working with, that gym, I just felt like at that time, they weren't putting a lot into the trainers, the culture, because again, it was all about sales. So it doesn't make a difference how many sales you had. They weren't advancing you the way they should because they were just so focused on number and it was all about greed. And I was, wasn't a fan of that because again, I'm always big on trying to just make sure, you know, that individual that's working with me is seeing the results. So I left that company, went to another company. And when I got there, hope, you know, the business plan, I, I loved everything about it. I felt like it was new. I felt like, oh, this is great. They're all about results. They're all about the client. They're not about the sale. They don't only find out they're about the sale, they're not about the client. So again, now I'm discouraged. Now I'm like, you know, I have a lot of private clients. I'm like, you know what? I think it's time I take a step back. I got a wedding coming up. I got, you know, goals to meet. So I actually left the training industry. I left the, the big box gyms, kept a handful of my of my uh, private clients, and I went and worked for UPS. Mm. Yeah, I went and worked for UPS, man. And I went there and um and I blood, sweat, and tears of, of I, I remember I dropped like 10 pounds in one month just from actually working in one, in a town, in, in Mutton Town. Of all towns, Mutton Town I was working, right? <laughs> and I think they purposely designed these driveways to make you, <laughs> like, lose <laughs> your mind, dude. And all right, so I, I'm running this route, and, 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 and I'm like, man, you know, and I miss, it's funny because I took the step away. I was like, I just need something that gives me benefits. I need something that gives me consistent clientele where, I'm not thinking about trying to sell you anything. It's just like, all right, I have my clientele. I'm pretty much, I don't, you know, just want to be in an environment where I'm not even thinking anymore about routines. Now it's like, all right, you know what? I don't have to think about selling anybody. All I have to do is get get my truck, make my deliveries. I give credit to UPS guys, man. It is, it, it, it was a beast of a time. I mean, it was hot. The, the truck's hot. You're just like yourself, man. I sweat. When, I, when I'm working, I'm, I'm sweating. <laughs> think about you, you're driving this hot truck. And then and and you're making deliveries, and you're going up and down driveways, and, and you're not like you're carrying like a five ounce box. You're carrying yeah, yeah. drop of mattresses, man, and, and mattresses in a box. Tires. <laughs> when people order, you're mind blown, like right. So it was fun while it lasted, but then it even got to a point where I was just like, I had a reality check, and I and I actually got off of that whole route, man. I was just like, there was some mornings you come in and like, all right, you're not gonna work today. And I'm like. Wait, I just got here before everyone. But yeah, that's just the way it is. You know, they had it where you weren't consistently going to make 
book, which when you make book, you actually become full time. You had to work the holiday season and all those days wouldn't count towards your book. So after a while, I was like, man, this is horrible. Like, I'm better off just training my private clients. Like, what am I doing? Like, coming here and, and wasting my day. So I went from there. Then I had another opportunity with Geico. And I went, went over to Geico as a, as a damage adjuster, right? And I'm like, man, I love cars. You know, we have a family-owned transfer business. I'm like, oh, just right up my alley. I go there. And it was, again, it was like a roadblock. I, I got, got there and I'm like, man, what am I doing here? I said, now, now I, I went back. I went to a point where I was just chasing. I'm even chasing career now. Now I'm just chasing anything that would just give me my benefits and give me a, a good paycheck. And that's when I, I hit another wall where I was just like, right, you know what? I have to stay on track with, you know, don't let the big box gym deter me from what my ultimate passion, which is helping people. And that's what pushed me into opening my own. Because at that point, I was like, right, you know, I want I want to be somewhere where obviously I know the business side is part of it. But here it is. You know, I, I tried going outside of that just so I can just be in something where pretty much you didn't have to think about it. I could just go ahead, do this, do that, get my paycheck, come home. But, you know, again, I had to go through that again just to at least see where my passion was. And, and when I came full circle around to it, man, you know, being back in, in a position where, again, I have my own business. I, I'm able to control my own schedule. I have a nine-month-old daughter, beautiful family. I have my, my wife and my nine-month-old daughter. And I'm able to control my schedule around, you know, whatever I'm doing with them. And, and that overall is the blessing, is to be able to still mm. enjoy my hours with my clients. But even more important, to be able to come home and spend that quality time and be able to create my own schedule so I'm, I'm not missing out with my daughter and my wife, you know, so that is a blessing in itself, man. I don't know how I left that part out, but that, that definitely was a, a, a little, a, a little uh, hiatus that I took from, from doing full-time training. <laughs> it was different. Dude, listen, man, I remember when the snow kicked down, we, we pulled up at a light and I saw a UPS truck and it was pouring snow. And I'm like, man, I told, I told Jen, I said, man, that was going to be me. And, and again, <laughs> I was like, Listen, I'm not knocking, not knocking it, because these guys, listen, I give them credit, man. They they get the job done, but I, I'm a firm believer that that we all have a path and we all have a passion, and that path and that passion go together for what you want to do, and it's about mm. finding that, you know. Absolutely. Where where can our listeners connect with you, find you, if they want to get any tips, if they want to work with you, where where can they find you? Well, I'm located here in in you know I'm. I have a studio over in Roslyn, Long Island, is where I, uh, where I can always, you can always find me there if you want to do something in the gym. I'm right here in Uniondale, Long Island. So, I mean, if anyone wants to contact me, 516-642-4444, or you can reach me on email, one, the, the number one, onecoachwest at gmail.com. And I mean, I'm on Facebook, Wesley Grant. I'm on Instagram, onecoachwest. So you can always contact me there if you just want to ask questions or you want to learn more about your body, learn about some commitment, consistency, feel free to reach out. There you have it. Thanks so much, Wes. This was awesome. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you liked that episode, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date on all the latest news with Bits of Gold, please make sure to follow us along on Instagram at bits of gold underscore podcast bits of gold underscore podcast. Thanks so much and hope you have an amazing week. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.